Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Callan FM. You're listening to the business community on Callan FM with me, Heather Noble, and this week there's no Tracy. Last week there was no me, this week there's no Tracy. Uh, so we're, uh, I'm flying solo this time, so um, let us know, we can have, a, we can have a, um, a show off and see who gets the most listens and who gets the most shares, uh, because it's really weird being in the studio on your own when normally there's the two of you to, to chat to. However, I shall battle on. Um, it, this week, it's something that's completely passed me by, but a lot of you I know will have been um, awaiting and enjoying the Avengers Endgame. No spoilers here because I, I, I can't spoil because I haven't seen it. But it was a massively high revenue earner just in the first five days. I think it was something like $13.2 billion, uh, which is just phenomenal. So if you haven't seen it, um, I guess that that's something that might be on your bank holiday weekend um, list of things to do. But other items in the news that caught my eye uh, was the second biggest care home operator, Four Seasons Healthcare. Um, They have fallen into administration. Uh, It's the biggest collapse of a care home in eight years. And although the company, which has been hit by rising costs and cuts to fees being paid by local authorities, uh, they insist that it's 17,000 residents will be unaffected and homes will not close. So I think we need to be watching that one. Hopefully none of your families are affected with that um, particular one. Jaguar Land Rover um, has announced that it's going to build its next generation Land Rover Defender in Slovakia rather in the UK. Um, it had uh, it had been built in Solihull near Birmingham until 2016. Um, they say that they're moving manufacturing to Slovakia, although the engines will be built in Wolverhampton. And this is the one that really got me thinking this week. The first UK till-free grocery store has opened. It's been opened by Sainsbury's uh, in uh, Hoban Circus in London, where basically you can pay with an app. You just pick up what you want, apart from alcohol and tobacco, uh, and you you pay with an app and you walk out. Uh, and this is just the start of more and more automation uh, that is being introduced all over the place. So it got me thinking about how we pay for things, money, banking. And I thought I'd just do a little bit of research and look at some of the different ways that we use money and how money is used by business. Um, The Telegraph ran an article in 2013 uh, talking about banking from its its original roots, uh, where essentially current accounts um, began in Amsterdam in the early 16th century, uh, where people identified that um, there was a way, a different way to transfer money. And in fact, it was not until 1778, the Royal Bank in Scot- Bank of Scotland invented the overdraft. So this is where um, a gentleman called William Hogg, who was a merchant, was allowed to draw out a thousand pounds more, which equates to, or in 2013, equated to 63,000 um, pounds, to take out more from his account than he had in it. And bank account, bank accounts were um, the preserves of, of the rich people who were people who didn't have much money, basically kept stuff in a shoebox. Uh, and then when it became more uh, prevalent, people used passbook passbooks. And I can remember the days of going to the Building Society with a little book and getting your book made up with how much interest there is, etc. But 
we've moved on a long way from there. We, you know, we went through all of the the passbook to direct debit to checks, direct debit, standing orders, online banking. Uh, I don't know the last time you wrote a check, but it's certainly been quite some time since I have. And it's quite a while since I've been paid by check into my business. Most payment now comes through online banking. And that got me thinking about uh, what other methods there are of making payment. Now, they've talked a lot this week about um, cash machines and how they are going to be charged for. There's going to be this um, this increase in charges being made. Now, I don't know about you, but I thought that we used to we used to have free cash withdrawals because we would take them out of only from our bank. Do you remember the days when you could only withdraw money from the bank? Uh, and then we moved on to standalone cash machines where you paid to draw out your money because of the convenience. Then they all went free. Uh, so you could get hold of your money for free. And now there's this introduction of charging. And it's all to do with the fact that um, a lot of the large banks, uh, the, the large cash machine providers are charging and not passing on uh, and, and are now passing on the, the, the charge to us. According to figures obtained by which uh, in March of this year, more than 1,200 cash machines were converted to paying fee paying machines. Uh, so that's that's quite um, a slide. And they also said that fees of at least 95p per withdrawal were imposed on 1700 machines within the first three months of the year. And some are charging as much as £1.99. Now, I learnt um, recently that, that cash machines are actually hereditaments in terms of business so that they pay, there is a business rate um, applicable to cash machines, which was something that I had no idea about. Um, I don't really know who I thought they belonged to or who put the money in them. But from a business point of view, having that access accessibility to cash is really important for us and our customers because we want them to be able to get hold of money if they need it and come in and spend with us. We don't want people avoiding us, uh, particularly for a retail outlet, because they haven't got any cash in their pocket. But if they haven't got cash in their pocket, then, of course, we move on to the whole card um, card payment, the contactless payment, and the way that that's really emerged. Again, I can remember um, a number of years ago, I was in, in France, and people were putting their we were just handing our card over and the lady was swiping it and, and you know, and that, that was our money. But they were putting it into a machine and pressing in their pin. I thought, what on earth are they doing? And, and now, of course, that's everywhere. And then we got into the cardless where you have um, a limit of, it was a limit of £20. That's not gone up to £30. I think it's only going to be a matter of time before that increases. So for us as businesses, what does it mean to us? How useful is it? And what are the actual benefits of a cashless society? I found a really interesting website called FinTech, which talk the FinTech Times. Uh, it's online and it talks all about financial technologies. And it says that spending behaviours have, have altered massively in the UK and continue to do so. Um, in fact, contactless payments account for 40% of all card transactions last year. Now, given that the limit is £30, then 
all those other transactions probably aren't being done contactless because they're over the threshold. So I think that's a massive statistics statistic. So benefits for us. Okay. Um, it's it's labor saving because you don't have to be you don't end up with so much cash so you don't have to count cash you don't have to keep that cash safe you don't have to transport it to the bank you don't have the risk of a, a, an employee transporting money to the bank i can remember banking huge ma- amounts of cash um in you know in the olden days well you'd be literally be ca- carrying thousands upon thousands of pounds to the post office or to the bank to pay in uh, so that from our point of view is is really helpful there's the cash handling costs uh, if you bank cash you get charged for the processing of that cash uh, so there are major major savings for us and i think those are only going to increase now one other thing that they mentioned, and Sweden seems to be leading the way in all sorts of things. So they've mentioned that Sweden is currently leading the way towards becoming the world's first completely cashless society, where only 2% of transactions are cash-based. And that's according to Swedish central bank, Riksbank. Um, we are um, in the top three. And although we are probably never going to get to a totally cashless society because if we did then who would you know how would you buy things out of out of um machines or parking parking machines until they've all been updated how could you give some money to a busker or somebody who's um, living on the street you know so there are reasons why having cash is really helpful and that that thought then got me to thinking about well hang on a minute does everybody want to use contactless payment? Different, you know, it's generational. People, some people like just to have cash in their hand. If they got cash in their hand, they know how much money they've got and what they can do with it. So I thought I'd have a little look at how many people are what are classed as unbanked. These are people who don't have a bank account. Um, apparently, uh, one and a half million adults in the UK remain unbanked. Um, And only half of them would actually like a bank account. Uh, Now, some some of those people who have uh, a a bank account choose to uh, half the people who have a a bank account choose to manage their money in cash. Uh, So that again, if we started to look at who those people are, um, I wonder what demographic it would be. Are they are they going to be older people? Are they going to be people who've got less money? Therefore, every penny literally counts because they want to keep tabs on it. So the whole subject, I think, is really fascinating. It's really broad, but I don't think it's as straightforward as it's just going to be more and more contactless and one day we won't have money in our pocket because I think... That, I, I don't think I'll see that day in my lifetime, but um, I may live to I may live to regret <laughs> regret saying that. But there's lots of information out there about the impacts for you as a business owner and where you can um, keep ahead of the game. And I would suggest very much that if you've got time, you check out the FinTech Times online. You're listening to the business community on Callan FM and it's just Heather in the studio this week. Tracy is out and about, but she will be back 
in the hot seat next week in the studio with me. So, um, But what she has done very kindly is she sent in a couple of news items for you, um, one from the uh, HMRC and the other from the Office for National Statistics. Uh, a couple of items that she thought we would be interested in and they certainly are of interest. Um, the ONS re- released some figures around profitability of UK companies in the period October to December 2018. Uh, and there are some s- some interesting stats, I think. Uh, private non-financial corporations returned a net return of 12.2% in quarter four, uh, which was down from um, the estimate of 12.4%. The net rate of return for manufacturing also fell from the expected 15.2% return down to 14.3, so a bigger gap there. Uh, And then UK continental shelf companies, I had no idea what they are, but Tracy has very kindly put a for your information. Uh, A for your information, continental shelf company is one that operates in the UK continental shelf. And that is the region of waters surrounding the UK in which the country has mineral rights. The UK continental shelf includes parts of the North Sea, the North Atlantic, the Irish Sea and the English Channel. The area includes large resources, as you might expect, of oil and gas and is bordered by Norway, Denmark, Germany, the Netherlands, Belgium, France and the Republic of Ireland. Now, that sector um, returned a a significant decrease. Um, They were the estimate was 17.4 percent in um, uh, in in that period, but it actually returned at 13.1%. But the positive news, uh, although it's only uh, a small increase, service companies, uh, their estimate was 17.1, but they returned 17.8% in quarter four of 2018. So, you can compare your company's performance against those figures. Um, pop along to the Office for National Statistics to find out those and more interesting gems. And then one from HMRC. This is aimed very much at young adults who might not have great experience of the UK tax system. I think we have all probably in recent years started receiving emails, you know, your tax return. Uh, we need to pay you this sum. Fill in your your bank details. Um It's the time of year when fraudsters do refund scams uh, throughout April, May and June. And um, it's just taken advantage of the time of year. Apparently, last spring alone, HMRC received around 250,000 reports of tax scams. That's nearly two and a half thousand a day. Um, and requested that over 6,000 phishing websites be deactivated. So they are responding to this and, and working on this. Um, and they have got information on their website about how you can avoid, how you can recognise and what to do if you have received a bogus email or, 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 or a phishing email um, so that you can report it to them and they can clamp down. So those are the items that Tracy has sent. I've got um, a few events for you. One that's taking place on Tuesday. Um, This is JK Business Club. This is a Chester Breakfast networking meeting. It's from 8 till 10 at the Crown Plaza. It's organised by um, JK, uh, 
JK Events and sponsored by Berg and Williams. It's, as I say, it's at the Crown Plaza. They have a number of events that they run. It's just £15 and you get a continental breakfast. And there is a guest speaker next week talking about cybercrime. The, they have a meeting uh, following on from that in June. And again, they have another guest speaker, but it's worth checking out their website because they have a number of events up in Frodsham, um, in Chester. Uh, they get about a bit. So there's one for you. Uh, another networking event, Colony Networking. This is on Thursday, the 9th of May. So that's next Thursday. Again, in the morning, 9.30 to 11.30. It's taking place in Warrington, Warrington South, at Changing Minds UK. It's networking and business talk. Uh, and they um, they charge ten to fifth ten pounds for members, fifteen pounds if it's pay as you go, um, and that looks like a good one. So worth um, taking a look. Uh, they are the venue that it's being held at. Sounds like it's a therapy centre. So the talk is going to be talking about resilience in business and, co and coping with stress overwhelm, well-being and performing under pressure. So if you are feeling any of that or you have staff that are suffering from any of those, it's worth popping along. A branding and marketing event uh, taking place. The one that caught my eye is on the 22nd of May at Bangor University. Uh, it's um, it's for any small business that wants to get the most out of their branding and marketing. Spaces are limited, but it's talking about understanding your customer, who which audience should you focus on? How can I market, market my business without spending a fortune? That is a Business Wales event. And if you pop along to the Business Wales website, you'll see um, other, uh, other repeats of that same event. For example, it's at Redwither Tower on the 6th of June. A couple more for you. Uh, this is one that Tracy found actually taking place on the 21st of May at College Cambria. It's innovation and skills for manufacturing. Hear firsthand from the EU funded operations about the support on offer to help you upskill your workforce and exploit opportunities for collaboration and gain competitive advantage. This is for manufacturing companies uh, only, uh, 9 till 12.30. And you can book tickets via business line Wrexham. So if you go to wrexham.gov.uk forward slash business hyphen events, there are details there. It's Rianne Jeffs who is organising that. And finally, I have um, an event that is taking place in uh, Lamroost. Well, actually, there are two in Lamroost. A bit of a, a bit of a long a long way, but these look really good, actually. Uh, there's the 22nd of May and the 3rd of June. 22nd of May, Instagram for small businesses, an introduction. I know I should be using Instagram, but but I'm not and I don't really know how I would in the context of my business. So that looks like an interesting one. That's 10 till 1. And then again in, in uh, Lamroost, um, emergency first aid at work, £50 plus VAT. Uh, the role of emergency first aider, resuscitation, um, recovery position, etc, etc. They are being organised by Helen Hodgson. Uh, and if you Google, uh, oh, I'm trying to find now. I think I've lost. Ah, I've lost the thing. 
I've lost the thing. I'll pop um, a link on our website, which is thebusiness.community. So I'll make sure that you can find those events if you pop along to the website. Our book review this week is a book that I absolutely love. Uh, It's called The 25th Hour. Uh, You have to be careful if you Google that because I think there's a film called The 25th Hour. So that got very confusing for a while. Anyway, the book is called The 25th Hour, Supercharging Productivity, Secrets from 300 Successful Entrepreneurs. It's written by um, three, I think they're all men, uh, Guillaume Declare. Uh, Bayo Din and Jerome Dumont. I don't know if that's how you pronounce each of those names, but that's how I've pronounced them. Uh, and I found this book. It was a free Kindle book uh, on Amazon and I downloaded it and straight away, uh, and this has happened to, to both Tracy and myself in the past, I thought I need to own this book. I need to own this book because I just looked at the table of contents and I looked at a couple of um, a couple of uh, sections and the way it's laid out. And yes, we've talked about productivity before, but they were just speaking my language. And I think what summed it up, and this is something that I say all the time and absolutely resonated with me. Uh, They say, in college and at work, the focus is on learning technical skills. Oddly, it never occurs to anyone to teach us how to work effectively in the way that nobody teaches us how to learn, to find out how we like to learn and how to to just do this stuff that we need to do. Um, And that, in its, I just thought, crikey, yeah, absolutely. And I... I was really pleased with myself also because I managed to download the Kindle app onto my PC, which meant that I wasn't trying to read it on my phone, uh, which isn't great for my eyesight. And I have marked and highlighted so many parts of the book. There's just so much information in there. Uh, And and it's so thought provoking. I mean, they talk about things like um, if a week goes by and you haven't made any tweaks to the way you work, you're probably not examining your habits with a critical enough eye. Uh, that you know, we 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 should be improving and recognize. Oh, I could have done that better. I could have done this better. I wasted a lot of time on that, and we don't tend to reflect because we're so busy. But imagine if we did, then we would be able to save some time. And they say that if you, if each week you could make a change that saves just one percent of your time, then by the end of the year. A week's work will take you just 24 hours in total. Now, okay, I I get that sort of slightly utopian because there's always there was there's always incoming and stuff that you can't anticipate. But throughout the book, they look at different ways to improve efficiency from the type of software that you use, the type of um, Internet browser that you use, the search engine that you use, how fast it's returning information, how often you are typing the same information into an email when you could actually um, have some templates or standardize things or have phrases that you can insert. It really just looks at all all of the different strands of all the different things that these 300 entrepreneurs um, do. And they've They've brought them all together. And that's the kind of book that I really like when they go off and do the research for me and they bring it all together in one place so that I can refer to it. They give some really helpful examples of things that you can do, methods that you can you can adopt. Um, 
yeah, I mean, like speeding up meetings, you know, thinking about how many meetings do you go to that you don't really need to go to? Or how many meetings do staff go to that they don't really need to go to? Uh, and then if they go, uh, you know, they go on for too long. So how do you make sure that they're long enough, um, necessary, and then productive? You know, what's the point? What's the point of having a meeting? If there isn't an output, you probably don't need to have a meeting. You probably could do it via email. And they really they really hone in on all of these different points. So, and it's laid out beautifully. There are some diagrams, there are some illustrations. And they even go to the, um, they use the way that they wrote the book to explain how to be more efficient and how to be more productive and how to get yourself more organised. So, I love it. I, I, I think Tracy has also downloaded the app, so I'll be interested to hear what she thinks. But as I say, almost straight away, it was like, I need to own this book because it's just got so much useful information. And it's not all just the same stuff regurgitated. There are lots of new things in there. So that um, so today's book is is um, is it's, it's a big thumbs up from me. It's the 25th hour supercharging productivity with the secrets from 300 successful entrepreneurs. This week's business leader uh, is a baron who was born in 1946. He also has an MBE uh, and um, is best known for setting up the Big Issue, that magazine that we um, that we can buy from people who are very often outside Boots the Chemist, it seems to me. Um, I guess that's because Boots are more than happy to have them stood outside selling the magazines where they get money. Um, for selling them. These are people who are either vulnerably housed or homeless uh, and it's a way of them earning some money. The Big Issue magazine um, is is available everywhere. I mean, you know, it's really easy to get hold of a copy um, and it's really prolific. But of course, once upon a time, it didn't exist. And um, John Anthony Bird, Baron Bird, MBE, uh, is the founder. Uh, it's edited by professional journalists and then it's sold by street vendors. Uh, he's also a crossbencher in the House of Lords. He was born in Notting Hill uh, in a slum to a poor London Irish family and he himself was homeless at the age of five. He lived in an uh, orphanage between the ages of seven and ten and was often excluded from school. He got a job as a butcher's boy after leaving the orphanage to supplement, but supplemented his income by stealing. It's like he's a sort of modern day um, artful dodger. But um, he he got in he got into a bit of trouble. He went to Chelsea School of Art, um, but was sleeping in rough in Edinburgh um, whilst being sought by the police for petty offences. So he's been there. Um, but he got a job in the Houses of Parliament in 1970 for two weeks washing dishes. And um, if only he'd known that he would return to that same venue as a life peer. Uh, incredible story. His story is incredible. Um, but the story of the big issue uh, really captured my imagination. It was like, well, OK, it hasn't always been there, but how did it start? And I found an interview online uh, with John Bird where the uh, the interviewer said to him, OK, so what was it that, um, that inspired you to launch the big issue? And he said, nothing inspired me to launch the big issue. Um, what inspired me was to try and pay my rent to try and pay my mortgage. Um, I 
I hadn't got any work. I needed some money. And Gordon Roddick, the co-founder and husband of Anita Roddick, who we have profiled on this show in the past, approached him and said, why don't you do this this magazine? You're... Um, they, it was something that they had wanted to do uh, for some time. And so the rest, as they say, is history. In November 1995, he launched the Big Issue Foundation, uh, which would then further support vendors of the Big Issue. And he sits on the board of directors for the Big Issue Group, which includes the Big Issue, Big, Big Issue Invest, which is a social investment arm, and the Big Issue Foundation. Uh, he... Yeah, he, he came across in the interview that I watched as, as just a kind of regular down-to-earth nice guy. Um, yeah, I mean, he he you can book him as a motivational speaker and I would imagine that he would be very good because he just seems kind of really real. Uh, I I liked him. He, he, he seemed like he um, had a handle on the real world. He didn't live in some ivory tower um he was very much roll his hands up and get his hands dirty um and so i started to then look into the big issue foundation and what and what they do what do they do with this money what makes this man a good businessman um and they they do all sorts of things i mean if you go to company's house and look at their accounts they have a very healthy balance balance sheet um they loan money uh, so people can apply to the social enterprise investment fund um, and they have a lot of money committed already in loans with people who are setting up social enterprises uh, or community interest companies or whatever. In 2017, the 200th millionth copy of the magazine was sold. And if you look at their um, group strategic report for the year to the end of March 2018, uh, they list their objectives for the year 2018-19. And that includes um, supporting the transition of the credit worthiness bill into the House of Commons to deliver support for those who live in poverty, um, are homeless, um, are, are vulnerable. They want to engage with younger audiences to extend the reach of the magazine and its ability to engage and influence. They want a new early stage investment programme in the Midlands and they're going to um, invest and develop their own staff. But they also seek investors. So uh, the money that they are using to support social enterprises, they, you as a business owner can partner as a corporate partner. Uh, they have what they call a corporate subscription um, and that, again, on their website, they say, we recognise that selling magazines on the street isn't for everyone. So we set out to create a subscription scheme offering different work-based opportunities to people facing poverty. Uh, and if you are a corporate subscriber, uh, you can find out the, the ways that they, that they, um, that they implement that. Uh, a subscription starts at just £250 per year and you can get... There are all sorts of things that you can do. You can have supported employment placements, providing existing and ex-vendors with the opportunity to develop their skills so they could come into your business and offer your staff the opportunity to mentor. Um, days when your staff can go out and try selling the magazine as a, a character building and, and, and a personal development um, uh opportunity. Uh, sheltered pitches um, outside your office or shop. I guess that's something that Boots is involved with, although I haven't um, researched that. And then also ways of 
putting money in so that you um, you are offering support it ticks a lot of corporate social responsibility boxes. And it all in all is is just a really, really interesting um, business model. Uh, he on their website, they have um, they have a, a testimonial from a guy called Richard Hallam, who is from Experian. Um, I would definitely recommend partnering with Big Issue Invest. They have given us a chance to contribute to society through direct involvement, but also a chance for corporate employers to grow and develop their own staff who will have their horizons broadened through the experience and potentially be more benefit in the long term. Uh, so lots of strands there. And even as a small organisation, I think it's worth um, checking out what you can do to help. Um, as I say, even if it's, you know, maybe getting your staff to go out and try selling the big issue, because that would really focus the attention. It's um, it's not easy. It's not easy, I'm sure. Uh, quotes, we always like to have, and there are lots of quotes. And really, um, I, I struggle to choose to choose one. So I've chosen two, um, but I could have I could have reeled off ten um, because John Bird just seems to be such a great guy. He says, work with what you have instead of wishing for what you can't have or what someone else has got. We can all do something, but we have to find it. And you will know when you find it because it will feel right for you. And this one, optimism does not mean you don't worry but there are different kinds of worry. There is the kind of worry that leaves your brain numb where you sit on the couch and do nothing and just sink into despair. And then there is good worry when just thinking about doing something new gets you all tense and excited. And that's about reframing the way that we look at things. So I would urge you to find out a bit more about uh, Baron Bird. Uh, He's an interesting person, interesting person. And 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 the business model looks, um, it, yeah, it, it's fascinating. It's, it, it, I think there was nothing like it in the time uh, in, in September 1991. So it was certainly pioneering. So that's it. That's, that's, that's all we've got time for this week. I hope you've enjoyed the show. We will both be back in the studio next week. Um, Tracy will be back from wherever she is at these important meetings. So thank you for listening. You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. Join us again next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business.